Hi, Sleuths. Welcome back to What a Crime, Episode 5. So I hope everybody is doing well, staying safe, taking care of themselves. If you made it to Episode 5, thank you so much for listening. And I know the schedule is a little weird right now. Actually, very weird. I'm gearing up to start school, so I'm trying to figure out what will work for the podcast. So just please bear with me as I'm working on that. It's been a few weeks, but people are still listening. So that's really cool. Again, thank you guys for your patience, for your support, sticking with me. I can't see exactly who is following the podcast when I look at analytics. So please don't be shy. Send me an email at whatacrimepc at gmail.com. If you have comments, feedback, want to share stories, suggest a case, or if you just want to say hi. Follow me on Instagram at whatacrimepc. I post updates about the podcast and episodes there, and I do really want to engage with you guys. I think it'd be really cool. So like I said, follow me on Instagram. Um, Now, in regards to Love Daddy Part 2, y'all were like, no, we like it when you tell the story the way you do and not do too much analyzing. So you don't have to worry about that anymore. I heard you loud and clear. I was trying to do something different, but I'm still learning and growing with the podcast, and this is for you guys. So of course, I want to talk about what you want to hear in a way that you want to hear it. So thank you for the feedback. The goal is to keep getting better. And speaking of getting better, before I forget, please, please, please rate and subscribe the podcast and tell people to go listen to it. The more sleuths, the better, better, <laughs> the more sleuths, the better. I also want to give a shout out to my cousin Aiden. She's been putting people on to the podcast and shout out to her friend Lily who downloaded. So Lily, thank you for your support as well. Um... Okay, so let's go ahead and jump into today's episode. This one is a little cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, but we're going to get through it. Um, Also, shout out to my friend Hadia. She suggested this case when I first started my podcast. So if you're listening, Hadia, thank you and subscribe. (laughs) All right, so this is the case of Jody Arias and Travis Alexander. As always, you can't know the crime if you don't know anything about the people involved. So let's start with Travis. Travis Victor Alexander was born on July 28, 1977 to Gary and Pamela Alexander in Riverside, California. It's been said that his parents were both addicted to drugs and he had a pretty rough home life until around age 11. And then his mom um, was allegedly physically abusive and he told a friend that he would get into fights and stuff, you know, probably the anger from having parents with addictions. Like it's hard enough having one parent with an addiction, but having two? Shit. So after his dad died in 1997, he moved in with his grandparents along with his other, uh, I can't even talk today, (laughs) along with his other siblings. I think it was six of them, which probably literally saved his life at that point. His grandmother, Norma Jean, was into church. Such a cute old lady named Norma Jean. (laughs) Um, Particularly the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And so naturally, Travis decided to join the church as well. Now, as far as a career goes, he gave stand-up comedy a try, which most people don't know. He used the name Eddie Snell, but then he ultimately ended up finding his calling with motivational speaking. So he joined this company called Prepaid Legal Services, and he was extremely successful at Prepaid Legal Services. And here is where he would later meet crazy-ass Jody. Speaking of crazy-ass Jody, Jody Ann Arias was born on July 9th, 1980 to William and Sandra Arias in Salinas, California. She had four other siblings, and according to friends, she had a pretty normal childhood. But even Jody herself, there was this 48-hour interview that I was watching, and she said herself that her childhood was, quote, almost ideal. Now, of course, this changes during the trial, if you know the story, but one thing you're going to learn about Jody, if you didn't already know, This girl changes her story, her persona, her personality, more than we change underwear. It's actually kind of ridiculous. Anyway, 
she was artistic, she was pretty, and she attended Eureka Union High School. However, she ended up dropping out her junior year of high school, and then she moved in with a boyfriend. Now, Jody wanted to become a photographer, and I'll tell you how that came to bite her in the ass a little later. So at this point, she's like any 20-something-year-old around this time. We've all been in periods where we're trying to find ourselves, trying new things. We're discovering, like, oh, that's not for me. And Jody was no different in this regard, at least. She worked in various industries trying to become financially independent. She went through relationships with guys who turned out to be frogs. <laughs> Go figure. So finally. And she's like, you know what? I'm going to try something different. So she goes to uh, this conference in Las Vegas for prepaid legal services where she had just become employed. Sounds familiar, right? So yes, she ends up meeting this handsome, charismatic Mormon man named Travis Alexander. Okay, so here's where things start getting a little rocky. When Travis and Jody first started their relationship, it was a long distance one. Travis was living in Mesa, Arizona, and Jody was living in Palm Desert, California. Check this out, y'all. According to court records, they exchanged 82,000 emails. 82,000 emails. Now, when I first read that, my age started showing because I was like, emails? the fuck who emails them like are they having a moment like my mom when she says email but she really means text like but then i had to remember that this was in the mid to late 2000s so sorry mom and sorry if i triggered a memory for you today as well because we're getting old anyway travis and jody are dating they're having a great time there are plenty of pictures of them in happier times since like i said jody was an aspiring photographer i mentioned that travis was mormon and he was supposed to find a good mormon woman also known as not Jody. <laughs> but Jody's like, oh, oh no, I can be that for you. So after two months of them dating, y'all, Travis baptizes Jody into the Mormon church. Now, somebody might think that's cute. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I don't recommend redesigning yourself and your beliefs just to keep someone, but to each his own. So during this relationship, they are definitely doing things that Mormons are not supposed to be doing. Um, <laughs> Like y'all, they are getting it in. If you read the court records, you'll see just how explicit some of these emails really were. Like the sexting was on the next level. There were times where reading this shit, I would have rather read Fifty Shades of Grey. Like it was bad. But then it seems as though Travis started getting tired of Jody, and you know she was not gonna have that. Travis's friend said that they tried to warn him about Jody, but that he still kept messing around with her. He was doing what a young bachelor would do. He was dating multiple women. And this just didn't sit right with Jody. It triggered her insecurities. And when her insecurities got triggered, boy, she wowed the fuck out. Now listen to this chat transcribed between Jody and Travis. Don't laugh at me. I'm trying to <laughs> I'm trying to make this distinguishable. So um we got one voice for Travis and we got one for Jody. Here we go. We're gonna give it a crack. So Jody says. I've proven that it's not friendship. Violated that one plenty of times. You knew one call and you'd reel me in. You don't care, Jody. Just say this. I'm not sorry. I don't ever dare to hope for that at this point. And I'll be okay with it. Okay, maybe a spark of a dare. I'm not saying it's friendship. It is what it is. No reason to label it. Let's just quit with it all. If you want to sneak around, just tell me what you want and I'll give it to you. You'll get it anyway. Then I'll yell and then forgive. Why go through all of that? Like the email and everything as true as it was, was my way of getting you closer because I'm addicted. You are ruining my life, but I'm addicted. 
So that's fine. Ruin it. But let's not hide behind the facade. Just do what you intend to do. I'm going to quit acting tough. You know it's my own facade anyway, so I'll quit with mine. Now you quit with yours. Honestly, aside from what I wanted to say, it was me that wanted to hear your voice just once. It's like a little fix. You're not the only one addicted. Well, let's just ruin each other's lives then. I don't care anymore. If you want my freaking passwords, just ask. Because I'm horrible. Whatever you may have found, it wasn't bad enough to deter you from whatever your purpose is, so who freaking cares? I'm just tired of all of this. It's killing me. Seriously, I can't stand it. I can't keep up with this cycle, so let's cut out the act. So there, it's out. Let's just quit with the pretense. I tried to stay away this time. No, I don't want to hurt you anymore. Bless you for your forgiveness, but you deserve better and I don't deserve you. But you called and you made sure I heard your voice. You knew that would be enough. Not how many infractions. It's obvious by anyone's reason that I should have never had anything to do with you. You just kill me every time and I keep taking you back. I have come to terms with it. So how wild is that, y'all, to like hear them having this conversation and it's almost like a premonition that Travis is having. He legit says, you kill me every time and I keep taking you back. I have come to terms with it. Now, what's he talking about? Apparently, she slashed his tires after they broke up. She even moved to Mesa after the breakup. Like you can see that from the transcription I just read that she would hack into his social media accounts. She would pop up at his house randomly and crawl through the doggy door. There was even one story about Travis hanging out with another woman, right? And they looked up and saw Jody. She was watching, like saw that he had a female, you know, had female company and legit broke into his house. His friends were like, oh, hell no, Travis, you need to get rid of her. And it seemed as though Travis was trying to let go, but Jody was just not letting him let go. This was one of the worst, like, if I can't have you cases I've, I've actually seen. She ends up leaving to go back to California after being in Mesa for like eight months. So keep in mind that Jody and Travis had been on and off for about two years. So even though they broke up after only five months of dating, it was like one minute they're together, the next minute they're not. But this time, Travis seemed to be seriously through with her. Like, and I, I think she knew that. He had started dating this other woman named Mimi. In fact, they were supposed to leave for a trip together to go to Cancun. And Mimi thought it was weird when she hadn't heard from him. So she called and left him a voicemail. And when he didn't answer, she's like, okay, we're supposed to be leaving for this trip tomorrow. And he hasn't gotten back to me. So like, what's going on? So she gathers a few friends and on June 9, 2008, they all go over to Travis's house in Mesa. Now, he shared this house with other roommates and had the master bedroom and the bathroom. When you walked in, there was like a long hallway that led through the bathroom and into his bedroom. When they walked in, they unfortunately found Travis's decomposed body in the shower. And of course, they immediately called the police, right? So the police come out to the residence to investigate they found a bloody handprint on the wall. Travis had been stabbed about 30 times. The wound to his neck was so deep that he had almost been decapitated. On top of that, he had also suffered a gunshot wound. Now, the most interesting evidence, however, was this camera that was found in Travis's washing machine. It even still had the memory card in it. So, of course, their first question was, who in the world could have wanted something like this to happen to Travis? Now, normally, it would take some time to get a suspect list. Travis's friends immediately, like, no, immediately pointed the finger at Jody Aries. Now, Travis has a voicemail on his phone from Jody checking on him, you know, days after, um, you know, his he, he was murdered. 
mentioning how she hadn't seen him. She was basically trying to distance herself from the scene. But we have to dig into what Jody was actually really up to. So in the several days leading up to the discovery of Travis's body, a robbery was reported at the residence of Jody's grandparents. The only thing, though, that had been stolen was a 25 caliber handgun. One of her ex-boyfriends testified that he provided her with some gas cans. She goes to Salt Lake City for a conference, and a friend there mentions how she had dyed her hair, and she had cuts on her hand. And if I remember correctly, she had went from uh, blonde to like a, a, a brunette. So she told him that she got the cuts on her hand from cleaning up glass at a restaurant called Margaritaville. Now, I'm a fat ass. I don't know how true this is, but one of the detectives said he did some research and there was no such thing as Margaritaville. I could have sworn I heard of it, but maybe I'm making this shit up. I don't know. But on her account, yeah, this isn't suspicious at all, Jody. No, it's not suspicious that a 25 caliber handgun went missing from your grandparents days before. It's not suspicious that you you had gas cans given to you, you know? She like, yeah, I'm getting ahead. Anyway, let's go back to the crime scene evidence. So the most damning evidence other than the palm print was the camera. After they were able to recover the contents of the camera, they saw sexually explicit photos of both Jody and Travis. But then they saw a picture of Travis in the shower. And y'all, you can easily find these pictures online. But this picture creeps me out. It's not, you know, graphic or anything like that. It's just knowing what happened to him. There was a picture of Travis in the shower and he's staring at the camera, but the look in his eyes was horrific. Like something like it, it, it looked like terror in his eyes, confusion, maybe both. Then the next pictures, next sets of pictures, the camera shows the floor and you can see a woman's pant leg. <laughs> Like, man, how things are about to start getting interesting. So, Travis's friends have already told detectives that they need to look into Jody, And it's not like she wasn't putting herself on their radar anyway. She was calling the detectives and trying to figure out what they knew about the case. If there were any new leads that had come up because she was just so concerned about Travis. But if you're a true crime junkie or a sleuth, you already know how some suspects have a tendency to insert themselves into the investigation. They either need to relive the crime or they're trying to see just how much information authorities have so that they can do their best to stay at least one step ahead of authorities. I think for Jody, it was a combination of both, but more so the latter. She was worried about saving her own ass. That was apparent. So we know that she had premeditation with the robbery and the gas cans. She dyed her hair. She's trying to get information about the case from detectives. like. But what Jody doesn't know is the evidence that police have against her already. They have the bloody palm print that has since come back with a mixture of Travis's and Jody's DNA. They have the long brown hairs on the floor, on the walls in the bathroom. They have the camera images that are time stamped and dated. So because they have all of this, what did they do? <laughs> Duh, go pick her ass up. So this was one of the most bizarre interrogations that I've ever seen and watched. First, she says she was nowhere near Mesa or Travis on June 4, 2008, right? She's like, 
yeah, like playing stupid. I have pretty much, I have no idea what you're talking about. Then she changes, remember I told you she changed stories like underwear. Then she changes to this wild ass story about masked intruders breaking in, killing Travis, but letting her go. And so the detectives are like, what? So masked intruders broke in, killed him, but not you. What dumbass criminal would do that? <laughs> you know, Jody had an answer, like always. She said they looked at her and said, oh, you're that bitch from Mesa. I'm sorry, from California. If you say anything, we'll kill your family. We know where you live. And then they left. Like, okay, ma'am, that makes about as much sense as two plus two being seven, but leave it to Jody, and she'll find some way to make that expression true. Like, damn, like the detectives know at this point y'all that she's bullshitting like so they start to really really press her but they use a tactic where they leave the suspect in the room alone just to try to get them to crack you know obviously jody knows this in my opinion so she busts out with a rendition of oh holy night she's doing handstands and shit talking to herself like it just seemed like she was definitely trying to set up an insanity plea like she she wanted proof of her being on video acting crazy so that people could excuse her accountability for what she did to travis and she's very manipulative she's very calculated like you can tell she's been lying for a long time because she legit believes her own lies and that is scary i mean y'all she like, she is trying it all. She was trying to flirt with the detectives and everything. They get tired of hearing her shit, and they're like, you know what? Yeah, we're charging you. So she gets charged with first-degree murder. Now, Jody sat behind bars for about four years until her trial started in 2013. And guess what happens? She switches up her persona and her story yet again. Like, honestly, she just screams like, borderline personality disorder to me like she has no idea who she is she's willing to be whatever she needs to be in order to get her fix or save her ass i mean hell she was an extremely sexual woman who let someone baptize her into the mormon church knowing that she didn't have those same beliefs nor did she have any intent to keep them she wanted to keep travis and if that's what she had to do to keep him that's what she was going to do so the same Jody that asked the detectives if she could fix her hair and clean herself up before her mugshot after being charged and booked for, I don't know, first degree murder, showed up to trial looking like your mom's favorite librarian. Like, y'all, it was actually ridiculous. And of course, it was a defense tactic. I'm so glad it didn't work. She changed her story again. This time, she admitted to killing Travis they knew the evidence was too strong for her to not be charged with his murder. However, now she tried to say that Travis was like a pedophile and he was abusive towards her. She says that she blacked out during the killing. And I swear her favorite line is, I don't remember. But she apparently had dropped Travis's brand new digital camera, right? And he got mad at her, started calling her derogatory names, and he started coming toward her. So she felt that her life was in danger. Well, Miss Ma'am, if that was the case, why was this brand new digital camera found in good condition inside of a washing machine? No, no physical damage to it, like it had been dropped. 
you know, at least not drop bad enough for Travis to get upset about it and you kill him. You were trying to destroy evidence. We know that you were jealous and upset about him taking someone else on the trip to Cancun. He had been moving on. He had been fucking other women. And you knew that. He was actually starting to move on with his life and you were no longer going to be a part of it. There were so many other ways that this situation could have been handled other than the murder of a man who did not want to be with you. If it were truly self-defense, why did this crime scene scream crime of passion and overkill? Because that's exactly what it was. You stabbed him damn near 30 times, slit his throat to the point where he was almost decapitated, and then you shot him in the head. Now the stab wounds were in the back. He was trying to get away from you. The sad part is the medical examiner said that the gunshot wound came post-mortem after Travis was already dead. So yes, ma'am, you did murder him in cold blood. All because the love you had for him was unrequited. What a fucking crime. Like, guys, please, please, please take care of yourselves, especially in these relationships. Don't give someone the chance to turn one red flag into seven. Watch their actions. Move accordingly. Thankfully, Jody was not able to get away with this. Juan Martinez, the prosecutor, <laughs> y'all, I'm sorry, but that man was on her head. He did not give her any breathing room. The dynamic, the dynamic, excuse me, between them in the courtroom was tense. And I read Juan's book, Conviction, The Untold Story of Putting Jody Aries Behind Bars. It was a great read, in my opinion. I don't think people realize how talented and how good of a prosecutor you have to be to deal with someone as conniving as Jody Arias. Like she's dangerous. She doesn't look like she is capable of the things that, you know, he was having to bring her to trial for. And she's so good at lying that it's scary. If they didn't have the overwhelming amount of evidence that they did have on her, I don't really know for certain if she would have been convicted. In fact, that's what she said before her trial started. She said she was 100% confident that no jury would convict her i mean fuck can you smell what the narcissism is cooking <laughs> i'm so glad she's in prison for the rest of her life she's at the perryville state women's prison in goodyear Cal uh i keep getting arizona and california confused until i don't fuck with geography but she's at the perryville state women's prison in goodyear arizona since July of 2018 she's been working in the library that's funny <laughs> as an aide and before that she worked in the store store warehouse. Not only is she in prison for the rest of her life with no possibility of parole, but the judge ordered her to pay $32,000 to Travis's family for what she put them through. She lost her visitation rights for 200 days in February of 2016. Apparently she was being quote, disrespectful to the staff. So apparently she requested a haircut and an officer denied the request. <laughs> for the haircut so jody looked at another inmate and she was like i knew she would say no she's a cock blocker and then when she got reprimanded for it she said well you know i heard other inmates talk like that all the time so i figured it was okay like girl you stupid as fuck this whole dumbass blonde act that she has going on really like just grinds my gears it drives me crazy and i probably said this in every episode so far but it's so important Avoid people who lack accountability. They do crazy shit that sometimes affects you. But unfortunately for Travis, right when he made the, the decision to hold himself accountable and her accountable for the relationship that they had and the fact that he did not want to be in it anymore, once he made the decision to truly leave that shit alone, 
she cost him his life. Her lack of accountability cost him his life. Ah, that shit's tough. Like, what a crime, for real. Jody is crazy, y'all. Like, ooh, okay. Well, um, I know it's a shorter episode, but I think that's all I have on Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs Jody. Well, once again, thank you guys so much for listening and subscribing. Y'all are amazing. Don't hesitate to shoot me an email with case suggestions or feedback. And please follow the Instagram at WhatACrimePC. I love to really engage with you guys. Like I said, I can't see who subscribes to the podcast, so you'll have to show yourself on Instagram. <laughs> so I'll be back in um, the next day. Yeah day or two with the next episode i'm gonna try to give you guys as many cases as i can before our uh august 21st because that's when school starts and i'll probably be pulling my hair out by september so that's a good it's a good little over a week of sanity so i'm going to the beach for a week and my goal is to give you guys an episode a day while i'll have more time so stay tuned go follow that instagram subscribe so you get those notifications and as always thanks for listening to what a crime and remember Stay ready.